Hello, you are listening to the Bethel Atlanta Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about Bethel Atlanta, visit www.bethelatlanta.com. All right. Well, before, before we dive into the, the central topic that I'd like to go after today, um, I, during the offering time last week, if I remember correctly, uh, there was this little kind of blessing that I felt like the Lord wanted to release. Uh, how many of you were here for that last week? Three people. I, I remember more. <laughs> but maybe that was it. <laughs> but I wanted to just read this blessing over you one more time. This is in Proverbs 3 if you want to read it later. But uh, before we dive in, I just want you to, uh, to, you know, we just got up and walked around. Everyone just take a deep breath, if you will, and let that out slowly. And I just want you to close your eyes, and I want you just to receive uh, this, this blessing, because I just feel like this is something that the Lord's highlighting in this season. I'm again in uh, Proverbs 3, if you want to look at it later. But uh, Blessed is a person who finds wisdom, and the one who obtains understanding. For her profit is better than the profit of silver, and her produce better than gold. She is more precious than jewels, and nothing you desire compares with her. Long life is in her right hand, in her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are pleasant ways, and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who take hold of her, and happy are those who hold on to her. The Lord founded the earth by wisdom. He established the heavens by understanding. By his knowledge, the ocean depths were burst open, and the clouds drip with dew. My son, see that they do not escape from your sight. Comply with sound wisdom and discretion and they will be life to your soul and adornment to your neck. Then you will walk in your way securely and your foot will not stumble. When you lie down, you will not be afraid. And when you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. Lord, I just release a blessing of wisdom into our lives, into this season, that we would be drawn towards wisdom, that wisdom would bless our lives, not just our finances, but our our peace, our, our work, our rest, our sleep. I just pray that we would receive a gift of wisdom that brings sound sleep to every night from this one forward, Lord. We just release that in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, yeah, I just wanted to make sure everyone got a dose of that because I think that's important. Um, one, uh, and, and funnily enough, uh, reviewing this scripture uh, uh, led, interestingly, to what I'd like to cover tonight. Um, one great thing to do, this is a great way to kind of check your preachers to make sure they're on the up and up, is uh, anytime you have like a scripture that you really like or a scripture that someone quotes. It's a good habit to get into like reading the verses that come right before and right after just to get a little bit wider context, see a little bit more where in the story it was. And so I was, um, I was sharing, I was felt compelled to share this scripture last week. And I'm like, oh, I wonder what the ones before and after are. And funnily, it ended up greatly coinciding to what I felt like the Lord was talking about this week. So immediately before the uh, uh, blessed is a person who finds wisdom, the two verses before that are, uh, my son, do not reject the discipline of the Lord or loathe his rebuke. For whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, just as a father disciplines the son in whom he delights. So today, I'd love to talk about uh, correction and discipline. (laughs) That's, uh, yep. (laughs) I wish I could uh, share my eyes with you for the, just the the swath of reactions that came across the room. That was fantastic. Don't worry. It will only be partly as terrifying as you're imagining. Um, 
So correction, discipline, all of our favorite things to talk about in the church, yeah? <laughs> yes. So what, what is uh, correction? What, is, what does that mean? What is it, you know, uh, again, correction is something we probably tend to think of as something that's like negative, you know, like, uh, uh, and depending on our mindset, the way that we think, we'll kind of absorb it a, a different way. You know, we might uh, think of it as like, hey, you're doing it wrong, here's the right way to do it. Like, you know, when you're trying to fix something and someone tells you the right way to do it, yeah? You can kind of imagine it like that, right? Or you can think of it morally as far as like, oh, I'm doing something that's wrong or incorrect and I'm being disciplined, I'm getting in trouble, I'm getting a consequence for that, yeah? Do you ever think of it that way? You guys seem a little bit nervous. It's okay, don't worry. It's gonna be fine. Um, correction from God is one of my favorite things in the entire universe. I love it almost more than it. And I don't, I don't say that in a like uh, a puffed up religious way, like, oh yes, those, yes, and I, you know, I love suffering. Suffering's the best. I don't like suffering at all. Suffering's horrible and I would like it to be as short as possible at all times. Uh, I would like to suffer as little as necessary. But correction is fantastic. It's wonderful. It's, it's adjustment. It's, it's shifting. And I want to I wanna go back to another scripture that we visited recently just to show you a little snapshot, a little window into what a lifestyle of being corrected by the Lord can look like. Um, one of the disciples, probably the disciple who was most uh, frequently corrected was uh, Peter. Yeah? Probably say that's true. Uh, uh, you know, he was really bold, and he uh, got a lot of feedback about his boldness quite frequently. <laughs> got called Satan one time. That was, that was awkward. Um, <laughs> so, uh, but, you know, it, it, it seemed like kind of evened out his scorecard, right? You know, he's like, in one sentence, I'm going to found my, my church, you know, on, on this rock. And a few sentences later, get behind me, Satan. You know, it, it evens out more or less. So... Uh, if you would, uh, either mark this down for reading later or just go ahead and go to uh, Matthew 14. This is a story of Jesus walking on the water. And I actually talked about this uh, story a couple times ago. So um, I just want to zone in on one particular part here. So Jesus is teaching. He gets done. He goes up on the mountain. He sends the disciples across the water ahead of him. They go across the water. Jesus decides it's time to catch up with them. So he takes the shortest route between two points, directly across the lake, walking on the water. And then we uh, go to verse um, 26. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified, uh, rightly so, and said, it is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. Uh, but immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take courage, it is I, do not be afraid. And this is the key point I want to point out here. Peter responded and said to him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. Now, if you grew up in the church like me, you've heard this story 500,000 times, and so you kind of tend to just take everything at face value. It's just, oh, yep, this is what happened, and that's what happened. Well, I was reading through this the other day, and it suddenly occurred to me, what's the situation? Okay, we think this might be a ghost. Okay, this maybe ghost said it was Jesus. To verify that this uh, maybe ghost is actually Jesus, Peter says, if it is you, tell me to walk out on the water. He doesn't say, what did I get you for a present last Christmas? Which is also your birthday. <laughs> he didn't say, what did we have for breakfast the other morning? He didn't say one of 10,000 other things that would be methods of 
verifying that this was Jesus, he says, Jesus, if it is you, ask me to come out on the water. This is, a, this is a small little detail in this story. It's maybe not the import, most important one. We know the story that goes after here. here. Jesus says, come. Je- Peter walks out on the water, makes it most of the way, sinks down into the water. <clears throat> but to me, this is one of the biggest keys to understanding the result of a life of someone who was frequently corrected by Jesus. He knew which question to ask. He didn't ask what, you, what we had for breakfast yesterday. He didn't ask what did you tell me, you know, the other day, uh, you know, at this point. He recognized the nature of Jesus by living with him, by being with him, by, by walking with him, by living life with him day to day, by being led by him so that his mind was beginning to think supernaturally so that he even understood that this would not be a simple, Jesus just decided to walk on the water today, but this was an invitation to step into something new. And so recognizing that, he asked the question, if it's you, ask me to come out on the water. Ask me to do something that is completely impossible. Does that make sense? It's a small little window. It's just a little peek, but it's an important one. Because even just a little bit later, you know, as we know, Peter doesn't quite make it. And he said, and Jesus says, you know, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? You know, another adjustment, another correction, another invitation. Now, again, we'll get into uh, this later. But last time I talked about this, we talked about how it's really easy to imply a tone uh, to that correction based on your perspective, based on what kind of attitude you think Jesus would have. You know, the one that most com- commonly comes to my mind is disappointed teacher Jesus. You have little faith, why did you doubt? Sounds like a disappointed teacher. And this, that concept is one that's, that's important to understand because we, we know that God's correction is good, right? We, we want to be corrected by God, don't we? If you don't, uh, maybe don't raise your hand, but, <laughs> but you probably wouldn't anyway. So, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> the, um, why, but I, when I ta- said we're going to talk about discipline and correction, about 75% of you cringed and then laughed. You know? Yeah? How many of you, and if we're being really honest, how many of you, when, when you think of the idea of being corrected, of discipline, get a little bit of a cringy feeling on the inside? I do. I, I, you know? Yeah, and so, so, so why is that? And I want to I wanna talk for a moment about some of the things. We all know that God's correction is good. We all know that whatever he was correcting us on would be right. We all know that whatever he'd be correcting us on would be something that would improve our lives, would make it better, would make it more whole, healthy, all these things. We, we, all, we know all this stuff, right? Yet still, there's this little thing in us that cringes away from it, that is, feels in trouble, that feels like we did something wrong, that wants to shy away from it, yeah? So why is that? Why is that? Now, there's, there's a lot of different reasons, and I, I, I can't really tell you what yours is, and it's probably a combination of these things. But, you know, uh, one easy one that, you know, we as Christians like to talk about is just pride. It could just be pride. It could just be, I think that I'm right. Or I think I didn't even consider to ask for God's opinion on this subject. I didn't just moving forward because this seems like the best idea to me. And that's what we're going to do. And any, you know, opinion to the otherwise is an inferior opinion. And on we go. And I am just keep walking along and don't even necessarily hear what God's saying. That might be one reason, right? 
Uh, another one, we might be, the way I'd put it, we might be, uh, lack some confidence in our identity. That when we get that correction, it feels, it, it feels like, oh, I messed up again. Oh, I did something wrong again. Oh, I didn't do it the right way. And it feels like this attack on our identity. You don't need to raise your hand, but you ever have that feeling before? Yeah. Some of us might have a performance mentality, which is like, I want to do it the best. I want to do it right. I want to do it to the maximum of its ability. And, to, and discovering when your attitude and heart is, I want to do this the best way. I want to do everything right. I want to do everything correctly. I want to do everything excellently. And discovering that you're not, it's painful. Yeah, it kills momentum. It feels disappointing. It feels so frustrating. You start beating yourself up about it, yeah? That ever happen? Don't worry, we're almost done with these. <laughs> um, some of us maybe just had bad examples. Some of us, when, we, when I say the word discipline, that, that is actually synonymous with physical abuse for you or, or verbal abuse or mistreatment or genuine demeanment, whether that was from a, a parent or a teacher or a pastor or whomever. So some of us just have this bad picture of what that is. And even though we know our God is good and is kind and he, he, he is love itself, that we still have these examples that just yell at us and, and, and uh, are, create lenses that are so thick that it's difficult to see God the way that he is, yeah? So that's another reason we might be resistant to connection, or excuse me, to correction. Um, again, this is kind of similar to that performance thing, but fear of condemnation, that no matter how much we know that there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus, we still have this thing in us that any time we hear an adjustment, a correction, or something like that, we feel condemned. We feel like we're doing something wrong, and that is, means there's something wrong with us. There's something wrong with our identity. This is often attached to an inability to separate our identity and our performance. This is a whole other subject. I'm just going to touch on it and keep moving. But, like, your actions matter, and they have consequences, and they mean something, but you are not your actions. You are not your work. You are not the things that you create, you know. Uh, as many of you know, I uh, write, one of the things I do is write books for a living, and one of my um, uh, English teachers in college, who was a great, great guy, he was the sweetest guy, the, one of the kindest human beings you could ever have a conversation with. One of those people... For, like when you're talking to them, like first five minutes of knowing this person, wow, they are so kind, so friendly, so sweet. I got my first paper back from him that I had written to him, and I felt like that kind person had pulled a butcher knife and stabbed me in the heart 15 times because there was bright red notes of take this out too long, you know, da 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 da. Well, and it was like the blood of my very own gushing heart was spilling out on the page in red ink. Um, and, uh, and I talked to I, I brought it back to him and said, is it that horrible? Is it that bad? And he said, you know, Blake, it, you're in this class to learn how to write better. That's the, that's the goal. And so one of the essential things you have to learn how to do is to separate your heart from your work. And he said, now your heart needs to go into your work, so this is tricky because it's not going to be good if you don't put your heart into it, if you don't put your soul into it, if you don't believe into it. So that is a reality, and it's a reality we have to know. This is true of any kind of work, you know, as, as I'm sure we all recognize. But if I cannot separate the, if I cannot separate them in my heart, then if someone doesn't receive the prophetic word I give well, then I'll be offended. If, if someone doesn't like the way I built this thing for them or wrote this thing or, or whatever kind of work it is, whatever kind of performance it is, um, that will feel like an attack against me rather than 
uh, an opinion or an adjustment or a correction or a thought about something that I did. Does that make sense? Again, can't get into that whole thing, but there's a, there's a whole thing there if you want to chat about that. Um, so th these are some of the things that make us resistant to correction. What I'd like to talk about is the solution to those things, which thankfully is not a long as list as that was. Um, because a as many good ideas for what the solution could be to us not being resistant to correction, I, I believe that there really is only one. And it's this concept that maybe some of you have heard of, and there's different words for it, but I'm going to use this one today. Um, you see, we don't listen to God's opinion because he's right. He is right. We know he's right. But that's not the reason that we listen to him and can receive his correction. Right? <laughs> Because it's not his infinite knowledge that leads us to repentance. It's not his perfection that leads us to repentance. It's his kindness that leads us to repentance. It's in Romans 2, if you're looking for that one. You can check the context, too. <laughs> it's about not judging people for the most part. But anyway, um, it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. This is an area where some of our, uh, my own and I'm sure many of our religious history will kind of get at us a little bit because we kind of get raised, we'll, we'll say that it, uh, we'll talk about God's love all the time, but when we talk about doing the right thing or not sinning or things like that, it's always in the context of doing what's right, doing it God's way, which is true. And I'm not trying to demean that in any way, but again, uh, to throw another scripture at you, uh, we, we don't love God because he's perfect. We love God because he first loved us. It's, it's the way he has chosen to engage with us. And the, the word that I'm going to use today is a word called attunement. Attunement in, in psychology is when you get on the same level as someone. If you're, if you're uh, correcting a child, it's uh, a physical act of attunement. Is I'm getting down on my knee and I'm getting eye to eye with you. I'm not, I'm not using my physical superiority to talk down to you. I am doing a physical act of coming eye to eye with you to meet you right where you are. I'm empathizing. Empathy and attunement are, could, are pretty much interchangeable words, so it's the same kind of idea. I am, I am empathizing with your position. Oh, you took the cookie without asking, or I told you not to have any cookies, and you went in there and you took the cookie. I understand why you took the cookie. Cookies are delicious. They're so good, and it feels like they are just right there, and, I, and you probably realized, wow, I'm just high enough to reach the top of this cookie jar, aren't I? It's almost as if God designed it this way. Uh, <laughs> I feel like the Lord is speaking, <laughs> and I'm resistant to correction because of the pride of this cookie. But anyway, um, I understand why that happened, and I, I can empathize. I can get into your shoes with you, and from there, we can bring correction. From there, we can bring a, adjustment. That is what, that, that is, in, in, I think, in, in my opinion, empathy and attunement are one of the absolute foundational pillars of love. 
and I, I want to take a minute just to establish this because when I've discussed this with different people and when I've discussed this at other churches, I get a, a, a more resistance than I expect to get on this subject. And I just want to just for a moment lay down a foundation of this idea of empathy, of attunement, of coming on to the level with, with someone. And again, we're not, today we're not talking about how we do that with other people. It's really important and you should do it. But I want to draw... And the reason that it's important to do it with other people is because God did it with us first. Attunement, again, it's getting in the well with someone. It's coming down to their level. It's meeting them where they're at. It is first not correcting, not saying, uh, not saying, well, you shouldn't have done that. Well, I told you not to take that cookie. Well, you know that we're not supposed to have cookies. Well, you know we don't have more than one sweet a day or whatever the thing is. It is first attuning with where they're at. Now, this is tricky because... Uh, religious mindset says that is saying what they did is okay. That is, you know, me showing love to them makes it seem like what they did is okay. <laughs> this is what we're actually saying. <laughs> How do I know that this is important? Well, this is exactly what your salvation is based on. Because who is higher? Who's the highest? God. The, 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 you know, we, there's lots of scriptures about judgment. Who, who has the right to judge? God does. He is perfect. He is all-knowing. He is everywhere. He is all-powerful. He sees every moment of time and everyone in between. He has every right to judge, and he would have every right to righteously make any judgment whatsoever. And even God sent his son as a man to come down and live an entire life an entire life, he could have just come down as a whole man, still been a physical man, just, just shown up, shabam, here I am. No, he, he sent him born of a woman, born like everybody else gets born. <laughs> to grow up as a child, to live through teenage, teenage life, to live into his, his 30s as a, as a man with no special treatment, with no, no you know, didn't, wasn't born into a palace, wasn't, wasn't born into privilege, just born in a, in a lowly place, lived that life and lived a perfect life. <laughs> so already just from the foundation of the gospel itself, God attunes with mankind. That is a way of even just saying the gospel is <laughs> for God so loved the world that he attuned by sending his only son. Now, not only did he do this on the grand scale, on the epic scale, this is just how Jesus ministered. This is how Jesus walked out his life. Um, I, I want this to hit you the right way, so I, I want you to kind of go with me a little bit on this. Um, but um, if you want to look at this later, it's in John 8. My, my wife recently, uh, April, she's right there, looking very pretty. Um, sorry, distraction. Um, April, April's been studying um, attunement and empathy through, she's doing, getting her master's degree in uh, counseling and learning a lot of awesome stuff about it. And I'm getting super convicted by all this stuff that she, I'm kind of getting the spillover from her because I'm realizing this is just the practical application of the gospel. This is just how Jesus lived his life. And she was reading this story that is yet another one of those famous stories that we've all heard a hundred times. Um, but I want you to live this a little bit more vividly. So this is, the, this is uh, John 8. This is the, the woman caught in adultery. Um, very familiar story. 
But I want you to see what correction looks like in the kingdom because it is full of attunement. But I, want you, I don't want you, again, this is a story we've heard a lot, so I don't want you just to, to, to uh, just hear the story. I want you to close your eyes for a second. I want you to get comfortable. And I, I want you to, this is, will feel a little bit vulnerable, which is why I'm having you close your eyes. But I want you to put yourself in that woman's shoes for a second. Now, you can replace what, what she did. She was caught in, in the act of adultery. But I, I want you, and again, I'm not going to have you whisper this to your neighbor or anything, so don't worry. This is not surprise confessional time. Um, just to warn, let you know ahead of time. This is just for you. Never need to tell anyone this ever again if you want to. But I want you to picture whatever thing would be most shameful for you in that moment. Whatever mistake you have made, whatever choice you have made, whatever moment, whatever sin, whatever it is. Again, you don't need to tell anyone ever. But uh, I just want you to close your eyes. And I want you to imagine a group of Pharisees, a group of religious leaders, people that you probably grew up with and trusted people that were, were teaching people around you, people who traveled from town to town teaching about the scripture, teaching about the Old Testament, people that you probably knew bursting in in your worst moment, in your most embarrassing moment, in the middle of that choice, grabbing you and dragging you out in the street for everyone to see. And so I'm gonna read this story, but I want you to picture yourself in that moment because I want you to feel what it feels like to be in this moment where Jesus attunes and Jesus corrects. So it's uh, verse three, if you're looking for it later. Now the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in the act of adultery. And after placing her in the center of the courtyard, they said to him, this is Jesus, uh, teacher, this woman has been caught in the very act of committing adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. What then do you say? Now they were saying this to test him so that they might have grounds for accusing him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground. When they persisted in asking him, he straightened up and said to them, he who is without sin among you, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Now, when they heard this, they began leaving one by one, beginning with the older ones. And he was left alone, and the, woman, uh, and the woman where she was, in the center of the courtyard. And straightening up, Jesus said to her, Woman, where are they? Did no one condemn you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, I do not condemn you either. Go from now on and do not sin any longer. Again, I just want you to stay in that moment of feeling exposed, of being dragged out in the dirt, being thrown in front of this well-known rabbi, this famous rabbi who's going around teaching, who's, who people are following, this, this, this rabbi who's known for miracles, who's known for uh, wisdom. And you're feeling the shame, you're feeling the pain, you're feeling the doubt, you're, you're aware of the consequences. Doesn't matter if you, what you made was a, a predetermined choice or something that happened in the heat of the moment. But Jesus, in peace and wisdom, says something that just brings a level head to the crowd of accusers. The old ones leave first because they're the smarter ones. Because <laughs> they get it right away. And then the younger ones leave. And then it's just you and Jesus. 
and first he attunes with the shame that you were feeling. He, he steps into your shoes. He understands the fear, the, the shame that you'd be feeling in that moment and says, where are your accusers? Where are those who condemn you? And then again, he steps into that moment. He steps into this place, this place where you are expecting to be accused, where you're expecting to be condemned and you know it would be right for it to be so. And he says, neither do I condemn you. The one person who has the right to condemn you, who does have permission, who it would be perfectly just for him to condemn. He says, neither do I condemn you. And in that place of tuning into the pain, tuning into the shame, tuning in to that fear, from there, from this intimate place that he's created, this safe place that he's created, he says a statement that is covered in grace, the ability to carry out what he's saying. Go and sin no more. You can open your eyes if you'd like to. We gotta understand that this is the way that God corrects. God doesn't correct us because we're doing everything wrong. He corrects us because he loves us, because he's guiding us, because he's leading us. Some of his correction is, hey, turn from this. This is not you, this is not what you're called to do. He's taking you in a different direction. He's, he's correcting something big. Some of it is just adjustment. It's like tuning in your golf swing. You know, it's, it's hey, why don't you try this? Why don't you do that? Why don't you do this a little bit different? When I'm in tune personally, when I'm listening, when I am a, a co connected with God, I get corrected about three or four times a day. I get corrected on something big once or twice a month. <laughs> I'm just saying that just for my own comparison. It's, it's meant to be a day-to-day -day part of life. And I, I want us to understand this attunement piece because correction is essential for what God has called all of us to do. Because if our ears, for any of these reasons that I listed before, become numb to the, his voice of correction, we are missing out on a huge portion of what he's saying to us. If we cannot hear his correction without condemning ourselves, without belittling ourselves, without, without becoming overly attached to those actions or to those beliefs that we maybe did in good conscience or, or, or for a good reason or, or even by a good motivation, if, if we cannot be corrected on those because it will hurt us too much, then we are limiting our ability to hear God's voice. We are missing a huge portion of what he's saying to us. And it's a bummer. Because if we have not heard his correction in a while, then you haven't heard all of his voice in a while. If we haven't heard, if he hasn't corrected us on the way that we are connected to our family, then we haven't re recently, then we haven't heard everything he has to say about our relationship with our family. If we haven't been corrected by him about our politics, then we haven't heard what he has to say everything that he has to say about our politics. It could be a big turn, it could be a little adjustment, but whatever it is, he has adjustments to make to every single part of our life. Now, if we have this perfectionist mindset, that will undermine our ability to hear because it's not the nitpicky, itty bitty, oh, you gotta get it just right, oh, you didn't do that, oh, you didn't do that. It's not that kind of correction whatsoever. That's why we need to attune with our Father. And, uh, and much more importantly, let him attune with us. 
Look at him. This whole, all this idea of like stepping out into the light, letting things out in the light. I don't know. If you grew up in the kind of church that I did, that's, that's get dragged out. That's what put things in the light feel like, doesn't it? Sometimes when it's like confess your sins to someone, it feels like the first part of this story where you get to get dragged out in front of everybody. No, it's the second part of the story. That's what bringing things into light is. It is letting, giving God the opportunity to attune with you. Now, it's scary because even though we trust God, we know that there's some part of it that thinks that, that he doesn't have to or he might not. Or maybe our history has told us that he won't meet us there. But this is the way that God chose to perform the gospel. And this is the way Jesus' ministry was the whole time. This is just one story. Zacchaeus, come on down from that tree. Comes on down. Zacchaeus was a, a thief, a liar, a cheat. He was anyone who's ever done a bad business deal with you or to you. Zacchaeus was that guy. He was that guy who cheated you, stole money, tricked you out of things, played the system, whatever else. Jesus doesn't say any written word of correction to him. He just attunes with him. He goes to his house and has a meal with him when he has experienced nothing but rejection from his community, from his group. And, you know, again, fairly so, but he attuned with him. And in the middle of that attunement, Zacchaeus is like, I'm going to pay back everything I ever took, and I'm going to pay it back more. It changes the heart. It brings correction. Even just the attuning process brings the comfort and clarity, the grace to actually change behavior. Is this making sense? Again, zip over to Lazarus. Jesus shows up late. Lazarus is dead. Um, for those of you listening to a podcast, I made some air quotes right there. Um, <laughs> shows up. Martha is crying. Why didn't you come earlier? Uh, has a little discussion there with her. Mary, same thing. Jesus is filling, filled with compassion. Shortest verse in the Bible. Jesus wept. Um, and again, what what... What happens in that moment? Does Jesus correct them? He brings some adjustment. He brings some thinking. He has a discussion. He sees the multitudes come to the tomb. He sees their sorrow. It says he was moved by compassion. And then Jesus wept. He, even though he knew a miracle was about to happen, even though he knew God is good, even though he knew that God had provided something, in the, even though he knew what was going to happen in just a few minutes, he came down and wept with them. In fact, it was so severe that the people around him said, wow, the, he must have really loved him. And yeah, that thing that we're worried about, like that when we attune, that happens because the other people said, well, gosh, you know, oh, he must have really loved him. And then right after, you can go review this all later if you want to. But, and then... And they say, well, gosh, if this is the guy who could open blind eyes, then sure, why can't he, why couldn't he have made it in here in time to heal this friend of his, you know? So yeah, when we attune, when we come down to level, when we meet people where they're at, yeah, there might be misunderstanding, there might be miscommunication, but in the middle of that, out of attunement, in the middle of that state, roll away the stone, Lazarus comes back. This is all throughout Jesus' ministry, if you want to look for it, Jesus met people where they were at. We've heard that phrase before, but it's not always something we do with our whole heart. And it's because we need to experience it from him first. We need to experience that God is attuning to us, that when he's bringing correction, when he's bringing adjustment, when he's bringing a change of perspective, he is bringing it with compassion, with, with understanding, with 
with knowing where you're at and why you made those decisions. He's not standing up on a high horse, perfect, you know, uh, and saying, oh, I can't believe you did that. What a, what a failure. How embarrassing. Why don't you crawl your way back to me? No, he came all the way down. He paid with his son's blood to have the right to be present in your deepest darkness. Is that making sense? This is a relatively simple adjustment, but it, it, can, it will be transformative if you allow it. Because if you cannot attune with his heart, there are swaths of what he has to say that will never reach our ears. Because it comes through that door of attuning to his heart. When you look at how much Peter got corrected, it's easy if we have a perfectionist mindset to see him almost as like this bumbling sort of disciple. What I see is a disciple who built a lifestyle of attunement with Jesus that was in connection with him. So there was plenty of rope to pull when, P when Jesus had to pull on Peter, that they had a strong enough relationship that, <laughs> that Jesus could say, get behind me, Satan. And that didn't crush Peter's identity. It brought revelation. Does that make sense? Even to when it got to the breaking point, when Jesus died, something that, Peter didn't expect to happen. When um, Jesus died and Peter denies him, and he's in his darkest, darkest place. Afterwards, he rises again, and once again, Jesus attunes with him, connects with him, invites him to go back to that place and do it again, and to, instead of denying him three times, to say yes to him, to choose him three times. So if you would just uh, stand up where you are real quick. There's tons of scriptures all throughout Proverbs especially about God's correction and discipline and all, all that stuff. And it talks about all the really bad stuff that'll happen if you don't follow it and all the really good stuff that'll happen if you do follow it. And again, if we have this perfectionist mindset, we'll, we'll look at that and say, oh, I have to get everything just right to be able to get the benefits of the kingdom, to follow God, to do right by God. But we, I want to take a moment here just to pray for you guys, just to take whatever lens that you have off, whether it's a bad model that you had in your past, whether it's perfectionism, whether it's some combination of all those things, of, of overly attaching your work or, your, or what you do or what you, even what you think to, to your own identity. I just feel like the Lord right now is just going to lift those lenses off of your eyes and he's just going to attune with you. So if you would, just close your eyes and I'm just going to pray this blessing over you. Lord, right now we just offer up our lenses. We were saying it earlier, we sang it real loud and we raised our hands. Right now we just, we just lift up our hearts and we say just remove any lens that is not of you. Any model that we had of correction or discipline that was, that was unhealthy, that was, that was um, a, a disconnecting experience, that was a demeaning experience. And we acknowledge that those were not of you, that you are not demeaning that you are not disconnecting.
And whether you have a place in your mind right now where you feel like you need attunement for the Lord, a place that you need him to understand, to empathize. See, we as Christians, we know that we're supposed to forgive. Now, sometimes we go past what we're really feeling just because we know we're supposed to. Watch what happens when that person or that, or that situation or whatever it is that you can't forgive, you say, Lord, will you please attune with me here? He'll step down into that place with you. And he might bring adjustment after he's there. He might bring correction. He might bring a different perspective. But I guarantee that first he will connect hearts. It might be a choice that you made in your past that just comes back and just bites you. And maybe there's, maybe there's big consequences that you're still walking out in some form or fashion. Now, you can look back at that, that younger version of yourself and think about how stupid you were or how, how foolish you were or whatever else. But right now, God is just stepping down next to that teenager, next, next to that young adult, next to that young man or young woman. And he's attuning with them right where they're at. He's meeting them there. He's just being with them. Those of us who are afraid of a false picture of grace, a grace that just says, oh, everything's fine, do whatever you want, we can, we can get scared at this point because we can think, make the mistake of thinking that attunement is, is um, allowance. <laughs> It's, it's not. It's just saying that connection is the most important thing. Because, yes, he will bring correction in those moments. He will bring adjustment. He will bring a change in perspective. But the funny thing is when God attunes, you understand why you did what you did a little bit more. And you can actually empathize with yourself a little bit better. If you would, just put your hand on, one hand on your head, one hand on your heart, and we're just going to wrap up. You can choose whichever hand feels appropriate. <laughs> God, we know that this is deep work. This is deep adjustment. These are, these are ways of thinking that some of which have been, uh, been building ruts since childhood, since birth even. Right now, we just invite the transformative power of the Holy Spirit to show up in those places. And to do exactly what you did for the woman who was caught in adultery. That to take us to that moment where we maybe can feel the accusation, can feel that condemnation. And in that moment, give us the opposite experience. Give us acceptance. Give us empathy. Give us that kindness that leads us to repentance. Now just break the lie. <laughs> that we would never say maybe in, out of our mouth, but we believe in our head sometimes. <laughs> that it's his perfection that leads us to repentance. It's his rightness that leads us to repentance. <laughs> it's his trueness that leads us to repentance. And even though all these things are good, we acknowledge and submit to the reality that you have created, God. That it's your kindness that leads us to repentance. 
I just give every heart and every mind in this room permission to receive your kindness. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Sermon of the Week. To stay connected with Bethel Atlanta, visit www.bethelatlanta.com.